This is 8 Minutes, a podcast helping you understand the energy transition in just a few minutes. I'm your host, Paul Schuster. Last week, the Vogel plant in Georgia fired up the first nuclear reactor built in the U.S. in the past 30 years. But Vogel 3, the first of a pair of nuclear reactors at the site, reached that milestone after 14 years and billions in cost overruns. Nuclear power is a conundrum. It's clean, carbon-free electricity, but perceived safety and cost issues continue to hound an industry that desperately wants to be a part of the clean energy transition. In this episode, I'll lay out an overview of the challenges facing the nuclear industry and discuss a bit about whether small modular reactors may be its saving grace. Eight minutes. It's how long it takes the sun's race to hit Earth, or how long it takes to rock out to Metallica's Master of Puppets. We're old school. Let's get it on. Nuclear power contributes 18.9% of our country's electricity, according to the EIA's latest data at the end of 2021. That's a lot of clean base power that contributes to a stable, secure power grid. But adding new nuclear to the grid is hardly an easy proposition. Sure, there are the traditional concerns over safety and what to do with the radioactive waste generated by these units. The U.S. has never really recovered from the partial meltdown of the Three Mile Island Corps in 1979, and the more recent Fukushima accident in Japan in 2011 reopened a lot of old fears. But safety may not be the biggest issue holding back new nuclear projects. Rather, costs may be simply too high. The two new Vogel units were supposed to cost only $14 billion back when the project was approved in 2012. Today, those units will come online costing more than $30 billion, more than double that initial estimate. But maybe we're lucky? Flamanville, another nuclear facility being built in France, saw costs triple for construction. Vogel wasn't the only new nuclear facility that was supposed to be coming online these days either. South Carolina approved the construction of new nuclear at the site of the Virgil C. Summer facility back in 2008. By 2017, that project was abandoned after the two utilities involved had spent $9.8 billion dollars all without generating a single electron of electricity. What's worse, a state law passed in 2007 allowed those utilities to charge their customers for that wasted money. For the next 29 years, South Carolina residents are going to be paying for clean nuclear energy that they will never receive. Professor Bent Fluvia, formerly of Oxford University, tracks cost overruns on major infrastructure projects across the world. For nuclear projects, the average cost overrun is 120%. Look, nuclear is risky, but not just because of radioactivity fears. Costs are simply crazy when talking about these facilities. But does that mean that all nuclear should be shut down? Hardly. The U.S. generates more nuclear power than any other country in the world, with France being a close second. As mentioned before, almost 20% of our power is nuclear generated. That power is being generated by plants that were built decades ago, where the construction cost has already been paid off and the marginal operating costs are actually quite low. By all measures, those operating facilities should continue to run, as they play an important part in the energy transition. But even that decision isn't cut and dried. California continues to debate the future of their Diablo Canyon plant, recognizing the value of the clean electricity being generated by the facility, but wary of potential exposure to earthquakes and tsunamis that could lead to a Fukushima-style event. For the record, the utility PG&E has long maintained that the facility is safe from those events, but concerns persist. So, 
Where does the nuclear industry turn if new construction looks to be so difficult for these projects? The answer may be in smaller reactors, projects called small modular reactors or SMRs in the industry. What is an SMR? Ideally, exactly what it sounds like. These are reactors that are built in a factory and then shipped to their final installation destination and networked together to achieve the scale required for interconnection to the grid. The modularity of the designs means that costs can be significantly less, the learning curve between reactors can be accelerated, and the economic risks lessened. Lots of companies are pursuing what this next generation of nuclear power could look like. A reactor designed by NuScale Power was the first small modular reactor design approved in the U.S. by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. TerraPower boasts heavy hitters such as Bill Gates as backers, and they just received $80 million from the DOE to advance their next-generation natrium nuclear reactor. And other companies such as Westinghouse Electric, BWXT, and Last Energy are all looking to advance this space, and the DOE is putting money behind it investing $230 million in advanced research and development via their Advanced Reactor Demonstration Program. It's possible that SMRs achieve what large nuclear was not able to, bring clean, base-loaded power online at a price point that makes sense. But even these reactors are going to face a lot of scrutiny, permitting, and safety precautions as they scale up. Whatever the SMR market is eventually going to look like, we're just on the front end of that effort but the existing nuclear stock isn't getting any younger either. The average age of a U.S. reactor today is 39 years. Considering these facilities are built for a 40-year license, well, we're getting a little dated on some of these operating units. Many have been extended beyond their initial license, and others have been retired. Over the past four years, five reactors, including Oyster Creek in New Jersey, Pilgrim in Massachusetts, Three Mile Island Unit 1 in Pennsylvania, Dwayne Arnold Energy Center in Iowa and Palisades in Michigan have all been shut down. So, in addition to scaling the SMR market, finding ways to make it economic and safe to operate existing large facilities longer may be an important part of reaching our country's ambitions to be net zero by 2050. And what role would fusion play in that future? In December of 2022, the DOE announced that the first instance of nuclear fusion ignition had occurred at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California. Ignition is when the amount of energy being generated by the process exceeds that of the energy used to create the energy in the first place. Okay, two-second primer on nuclear energy. When we think about splitting an atom, either for power or in a thermonuclear warhead, that process is called fission. Our sun, though, goes through the opposite process of fusion by fusing atoms together. In the case of Lawrence Livermore, they use a 1.8 megajoule laser to compress two isotopes of hydrogen together and create helium atoms. By doing so, they release neutrons that, well, create power. But a 1.8 megajoule laser? That's Doc Brown type stuff. It takes a lot of power to get that going. Which is why ignition is so important, because once the fusion process starts, it should theoretically be self-sustaining, providing an unlimited source of clean power once that laser is turned off. Which means we've moved on from Doc Brown to Tony Stark, I guess. In any regard, fusion power is still a long way away from reaching the market. 
To be frank, it's unlikely that we will see a fusion reactor servicing the grid by our 2050 goal. But the excitement around the potential for such a power source is real. In the meantime, scaling SMRs and keeping existing facilities operating are areas where investment and technology innovation are likely to have the most immediate impact. New, big, advanced nuclear reactors? I think Vogel may be the last of a technology that has passed its heyday. I'm Paul Schuster, and this has been your 8 Minutes. Thank you.